0: John chapter 21, the last book, the last chapter in the book of John, the last chapter in the book of John. John chapter 21. I don't know if it was already announced that pastor's out sick, but I'm pretty sure you guys figured that out with me running up to the platform one way or another, right? John chapter 21. This is one of my favorite stories here in Scripture. I really, really love this story. We'll start off in verse 9, go down to verse 14. Really, though, we'll we'll start truly getting the story after verse 15 through 22. So John chapter 21, starting off in verse 9, we'll stand for the word of God as our habit is. If If you'll stand with me as we read the word of God. It says, as soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, "'Bring of the fish which ye have now caught.' Simon and Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fish, and a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. And Jesus saith unto them, "'Come and dine.' And none of the disciples durst ask him, "'Who art thou, knowing it was the Lord?' Jesus then cometh and taketh bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise." Now, this was the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. Let's pray and let's have a little campfire chat with Christ tonight. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. First, we want to stop him again and again pray for pastor to help him to feel better. You would help him just to physically get well. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we look at this passage of scripture, that we would be challenged tonight. Through the chat and little campfire chat you had with your disciples, we pray Lord God that you would help me to clearly and distinctively declare your word. And we love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. Praising your name. Amen. You may be seated. Growing up as a kid, we went camping a lot. I don't think as far as I can remember back, I don't actually remember staying in a hotel until I was like a late teenager. After my mom and st- my dad and stepmom, Carrie, had gotten married and she kind of put a stop to those kind of things, right? As a kid, we went camping all the time. It was a, almost like a ritual that we would do, a passageway of when you hit the second grade to be able to go on this big hike with us the week after Labor Day every year. It's a three mile hike in the, in the high Sierras up to Chickenfoot Lake. You had to jump in a, gla- a lake made out of glacier water. It was I mean, that was like a rite of passage for us growing up. I loved going camping as a kid, and one of my favorite parts of camping is sitting by the campfire. At the end of the day, you're kind of exhausted right from the hike. You're there at the campfire. It's getting late. It's beautiful out there, and it makes you kind of reflective. It makes you very meditative, doesn't it? I love those times out there camping. Several, several times, doing that as a kid. And as we think about this story, that's kind of where they're at now. They're sitting around the campfire. To bring those who don't know the story off the top of their head back up to speed, this is the third time that Jesus saw his disciples after he rose from the grave. First two times were up in the upper room. First time, Thomas wasn't there. Second time, there he was. Um, Thomas was there. That's where you get Thomas falling down saying that great verse, my Lord and my God. And after that, Peter... He kind of got depressed, didn't he? he? He kind of gave up. He had, oh, one time the great disciple. But then three times he denied it, even knowing. this was the third time cussing the guy out. It says cursing and swearing. He was the, one of the first people there at the cave, at the, the tomb. But after a couple of days, he realized he blew it. Gave up and turned to the disciples and says, You know what, guys? I go a-fishing. I give up. I'm going to go back to my old job. Seven of the other disciples said, We also go with thee. By the way, quick little side note. If you were to give up on church, if you were to stop coming, who would you take out with you? Peter quit, and seven of the other disciples quit with him. If you quit church, who else would quit with you? You gave up on God. Who else would you take down with you? They went fishing that night, these professional fishers, and they caught nothing. Not a fish. Suddenly, a stranger shows up on the shores and says, Children, have you any meat? No. Why do cats you cast on the right side of the boat? I don't know how many of you have ever been fishing, but the left side or the right side really shouldn't matter that much, especially with a net, right? Throw it, on the, throw it on the right side, and what happens? Oh, the mul- it says they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. John suddenly gets a bright idea. That's the Lord. Yes, yes it is. Peter gets so excited, he jumps out of the boat and swims to Jesus. The other guys, you know, bring the boat in. And there is the campfire. Jesus has some fish already on there, has some bread, and tells them. Why don't you guys come and dine? Let's have some dinner. Breakfast probably by this time. They knew it was the Lord and they were ready to hear what he had to say. I'm sure they were kind of scared as they knew they weren't supposed to be there. Kind of nervous, almost expecting to get their face ripped. Are you familiar with that phrase? They're almost expecting to be chewed out. But instead, Jesus just simply asked them a couple questions. And tonight, as we look at these questions, I want to then reflect back to them, to put ourselves there at that campfire. And as Jesus asks these questions to Peter, let's also ask them to ourselves and look at these questions and apply them to our lives. The first thing that Jesus asked Peter, it says in verse 15, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas... Lovest thou me more than these? Well, he saith unto me, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. That's why I think he said it too, just kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, Lord, you know I love thee. He saith unto them, Feed my lambs. Tonight I want to ask you, do you love God? Number one, do you love God more than stuff? Number one, more than stuff. Hey, making sure that was going to work right tonight. As they're sitting here, it's pretty obvious, you know, that around them would have been either fish, or the bones of the fishes they just ate. Um, they brought in the 153 fish. I'm sure these guys didn't eat 153 fish. So they might have been smoking some more so they can have them later on, getting them all dried out with some fish jerky, which does not sound appealing to me. So as they're sitting there surrounded by Peter's livelihood, What made Peter money? And we know Peter's a pretty good fisherman. They had at least two boats and they had employees. So he was pretty good. He said, look, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this stuff? Do you love me more than these possessions? Do you love me more than stuff? And tonight I stop and ask you, do you love Christ more than you love stuff? Possessions, materials, having a nice house, having a nice car. Let's see three principles to prove our love, if we really do love God. Three principles I want to help teach us real quick. First would be the principle of priority. What comes first in your life? What is the highest priority? What does your schedule say is your highest priority? So whatever that thing is, that's what you love the most. It is your highest priority. Of course, it makes me think of Mark 8:36. "For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for a soul? We know that no man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and Mammon. We can tell how important something is to you, by what it takes to knock it off your schedule. Whatever is the higher priority, that become that is what you love more. For example, if something's going on at church, I'm going to be there. I don't care what it is, I'm going to be there. That has been my principle for the last 13 years. Well, you're, you're a pastor, you're a preacher. Of course it is for you. This was before I was a pastor. Before I was a preacher, when I had a job at the storage units out there in Las Vegas, if something was going on at church, I was going to be there. I would show up Wednesday nights, I would show up, I'd have to sit in the back with a metal folding chair, because I was just covered in soot from working on those U-Haul vans. But I was going to be in church. Tuesday night visitation, I was there at church. We had an activity on Thursday nights, I was always there. Going back to when I was a kid, I mean, church was such a priority to me, I used to have to walk two miles to church. Uphill, both ways. In 100 degree weather, right? There, there's an overpass. But church was my priority. So I was going to make sure, even if I had to walk there, I was going to be there. How is Christ in your schedule? Is it something you'll squeeze in if there's time? Sometimes we have stuff in our schedule that really doesn't matter. I've been wanting to take TR up to do a special activity over at the Danbury Mall for about a month now. And stuff just keeps getting knocking me off the schedule. I was playing, going tomorrow... Somebody mentioned we're having a meeting Monday, so it got bumped because it's not really all that important. It's not a priority. Is Christ a priority in your schedule? Is he a priority? Y'all know what I'm going to talk about next of the course is going to be the finances, right? Because you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, is, of course, there is a word for finances. Do you love Christ more than money? No, I don't. Well, then are you willing to skip church for a paycheck? Are you willing to miss a service so you can make more money? Well, then money is what you love more. It is whatever your priority is. It is your priority to make money. Well, then that's what you love more. Is a relaxing a higher priority than God? Is it more important to sleep in than be in Sunday school? 9.45. You shouldn't be in bed at 9.45 anyways, Right? Is it your higher priority? Do you skip church to sleep in, to loaf around the house? Or do you get the true relaxation, the true rest which is in Christ? Uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, took my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. The principle of priority. What's the first thing on your schedule? Number two, the principle of placement. The principle of placement. The principle of that placement of that putting God in the first place. Again, talking about tithe, putting Christ first in your wallet. Again, Matthew six twenty one, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If I could look at your ledger, if I could look at your bank account, we can very easily figure out what's important, right? If you love Christ, you will be giving to the ministry. You will be giving first the tithe. The tithe is the first 10% of everything that you ha- that every increase that you get should go back to God. Sometimes liberal theologians say, well, that's an Old Testament thing. That's under the law. We don't have to do that. The um, Bible also says in the law, thou shalt not kill. We've got to keep some things in the law. But also, the idea of a tithe way, way precedes the law by hundreds of years. It's in the book of Genesis, Genesis fourteen twenty. It says that Abraham, and he gave tithes of all. We know this continues to the New Testament over in Hebrews chapter 7. If you really want to do a study, you can study it all out. As a Christian, we need to give the first 10% of any of the increase we get comes back to God through the local church in the tithe. What do we call someone, a Christian, that doesn't tithe? What does God call them? It's found in Malachi 3.8. I like playing with this one as I teach it to kids. It says, Will a man rob God? Can you rob God? Of course the kids are always like, no, you can't rob God. Yet ye have robbed me. They'll say, where have we robbed thee? In tithes and in offerings. If you are a Christian and you are not giving that 10% to God, God says, you're a thief. You're robbing me. That is, God says, that is mine. And if we keep it back from God, we are robbing it from God. I don't want God to think I'm a thief. No, no, he has the first placement. He's going to get that first 10%. Secondly, it should be in our offering. If we're giving our tithe. And by the way, if you're not tithing, and you need to, you say, I don't know what this tithing means. I, I need some more details. Come and talk to me or one of the deacons afterwards. We'll kindly take the Bible and show you what the scriptural of a tithe is. But as a Christian, we are to tithe. It is putting God in the first place. But we should also be giving an offering. The tithe is God. So the first 10%, the offering is how much we get to choose to give to him. It's our choice. So the first part is God. It's the law. We're supposed to do this. Then he gives us the opportunity to show him our love by giving of the offering. We get to choose how much and more. Where did this go? I want to give this offering so people can go over to Taiwan and preach the gospel over in Taiwan. I want to give this offering so that we can take care of the physical building maintenance more. I want to give this offering so we can buy another bus or whatever it could be. An offering is a free choice that we get to make. And if we love something, we will spend money on it. It doesn't matter, say, we're talking about, of course, church, but we can look at any subject in your life, and you'll spend money on what's important to you. If photography is important to you, you'll spend money on a nice camera, right? If baseball is important to you, you'll spend money buying souvenirs, buying hats, buying game tickets. If it's important to you, you'll spend money on it. If it's not important to you, you really don't. I don't really buy tickets to games because they're not important to me. What's important to you, you'll spend money on. But are we putting God first then I see the principle of possessions. Does God have control over all you have? For instance, can God ask you to go use your car for his ministry? If Sunday morning a pastor walked up to you and said, Hey, jump in your car. I want you to go run down to the Fanny Crosby house over on Fairfield Avenue and go, go pick up this um, homeless person. we would be like, well, no, no, not in my car. he said, I don't want them to be something on my leather seats. Can God use your car for the ministry? Could God, would you let God use your house to like host a missionary for a week, even if that means you had to move out of it for a week? Or is that kind of off limits to God? Is that possession? No, no, God, you can't use this. This is, this is mine. Is it off limits to God? By the way, when something's off limits to God, it becomes then first in our lives, and that becomes our new God. Whether it's money, saying, "Well, God, I have to have this job." If it's possessions, well God, I have to have this nice house. I couldn't I couldn't give my house for a week for a missionary. I couldn't do that. Well then that's becoming your God. It's taking the first place in your life. God says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Whether it's money and we're putting money first over coming to church. Whether we're putting possessions, no, I could not I couldn't give that to God. Hey, it could apply to skills. Do you have a skill that you're not using to serve the Lord with? We had a great example of this when we had the big display for the Eastern musical coming on, didn't we? we? We had a master carpenter come in here, cut out that really cool looking cave. We had a master contractor assemble it all together. We had two professional artists, two professional art teachers come in here, a seamstress come in here and do all that work to make it look awesome. They gave what they could do to God. They let God use that skill. Is there a skill saying, God, I, I couldn't do that? And God, I, I couldn't let you use that. No, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, neither where do thieves do break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus asked Peter, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Is there a possession? Is there? Do you love stuff? more than you love God? Is it your highest priority? Say, man, I am going to be there serving God as best as I can. Or is it going to be, if it's in the schedule. Yeah, if I'm not do anything else. I, I would be there, but I got work tonight. I would be there, but I, the NBA playoffs are going on. I would be there, but no buts. Be there. Is it your highest priority? Is God your is the principle of placement? Are you putting God number one in your tithes, in your offering? Is He being placed high, or is it just kind of in there? Yeah, I'll give when the offering plate comes but I'll throw a couple of bucks in there. God's only worth a couple of bucks. No, it's a tithe. Don't rob God. And in our possessions, is there anything you have that man, God that's off limits? You cannot touch. They need a TV for the nursery. Oh no, you can't have my TV. By the way, we don't need a TV for the nursery. as an example. Um, whatever you have, is there something that says, God, you cannot use this. Then God says, then I cannot use you. Is God your highest, priority, or do you love him more than stuff? He said to Peter, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. Is that how we're going to respond to Jesus? Yeah, Jesus. You know I love thee. Then feed my lambs. Verse 16. He saith unto them the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. You know what's kind of interesting here? There's a little bit of a word difference between 15 and 16 when Jesus responds to him. Did you notice that? He asked, first time he told him, Go feed my lambs. Second time he says, Feed my Sheep. There's a difference, right? It's not the same word. Is that a mess up in the Bible? No, it's actually very interesting. When I think of the word sheep, it instantly make me think of a shepherd. Of course, when we think of a shepherd, or we think about being an under-shepherd, being a pastor, as we use the term nowadays. So we know in the Bible, there's several terms for the word pastor. You could also call a bishop, you know, Bishop Levine. Sounds kind of weird. Um, we use the term elder, Elder Levine. I'm already feeling old enough just turning 30, so let's let's... Um, several of you rolled your eyes, right? Um, there's the term presbyter. No, 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 I like the term pastor. Um, the under shepherd, though, is another scriptural term for it. Another term showing that you are the shepherd of this flock. Makes me think of Matthew 16:18, where God calls Peter, "And thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church." Peter, of course, we know, becomes one of the first pastors in history. So when he says to them, "You know, feed my sheep." Makes me think Jesus was telling Peter, hey, I want you to serve. Peter, do you love me enough to serve? Number two, to serve. Peter, do you love me enough to serve? Number one, in soul winning. God has already called you to be a soul winner. Oh, if God would just call me, I would do it. He's already called you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go ye into all the world and teach all nations, baptize the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Um Mark sixteen, fifteen, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Acts one eight, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. God has already called you to go and be a witness of him. As he says over in um, John twenty, just a couple of verses back, John twenty twenty one. Peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. So it's not a matter of, does God want me to be a soul winner? Yes. Yes, He does. God has called you time and time again in His Word to go out there and tell other people how they can have salvation. So it's not a matter of, God, do you want me to do it? Yes, yes, He does. The question then is, why aren't you? If you, if you're not, why aren't you? Why are you or why aren't you? A verse that I read the other day that got me really convicted was over in Mark 838. It says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and this sinful generation, am I ashamed to talk about Christ? Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory with his Father and the holy angels. It's not a matter of does God want you to be a soul winner, because yes, Yes, he does. I could go on the long spiel, naming verses after verse after verse, proving that God has called you to be a soul winner, to, to shows you that God has called you to go out there and teach other people how they can have a home in heaven. The question is, why aren't we? Why aren't we? Do, do we love him enough? Do, do we love him enough to come out on a Saturday morning, morning to go visit on the bus routes? Do we love him enough to come out on a Tuesday night and make a visit for him? Do you go knock on a door and, hey man, we're glad you came to church. Or, nah, no, we don't really love God enough. Nah, my favorite TV show's on. I like that show more than I like serving God. Do you love God enough to serve Him? Do you love God enough to serve Him by soul winning? Do we love God enough to serve Him in sitting? In sitting, that's a weird phrase. I don't just mean sitting in the pew. I mean sitting with those like the father and widows over in James 1.27, pure religion, undefiled before God the Father is this, to, to visit the fatherless and the widows in the day of their affliction. When I think about that, do we love God enough to go sit with the widows, the elderly, or at the nursing homes? We at this church have a great ministry for, for to ministering to widows. It's a nursing home ministry. Every Sunday, they go out, they'll go into several, the three to four different nursing homes in the community, and they'll go, and they'll talk to these people. They'll talk to these who are just can't physically anymore make it to church. Can you imagine what it must feel like to be trapped? Think about this. It's a secured location, being told what they can do and when they can do it, not even being able really to choose in most places what they have to eat and when, when, when they can't eat, rarely getting visitors and basically waiting for the day of their death? That sounds like prison, doesn't it? And yet in America, we'll put people all the time in these nursing homes, and most Americans will just leave their parents there and forget about them. I was laughing, thinking about it, say, it's like, man, we want to say the older people have Alzheimer's, these, these seniors have Alzheimer's, but really it's almost like the kids, forgetting about where they put their parents, rarely going and visiting them. No, if we are going to be a servant of God, we need to go and start serving the widows. If you haven't ever gone out to the nursing home ministry, you need to go visit it. Even if we have everybody go out there this Sunday, that wouldn't be a problem, right, Brother <laughs> Hey You need to go out there and see this with your own eyes, to see these people, to talk to them, to get to know them. Well, I want to know what to do. Sit with them. Have a conversation with them. Talk to them. Get to know them. Love on them. Christ want, would want you to. But the Bible says over in Matthew 25, and verse 34, Then say the king to him in his right hand, Come ye blessed of the father, and inherit the kingdom, which is prepared from the foundation of the world. I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, ye took me and naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and he visited me. And I was in prison, and he came unto me. That kind of sounds like the nursing home ministry right there, right? Being sick and having someone come visit you. We said a second ago, it sounds, a lot of nursing homes treat the people almost like a prison. The people will turn to Jesus and say in verse 39, When saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? Then the king shall say unto them, And so much as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Do you love God enough to serve Him by sitting with the widow? By sitting in the nursing home? How about by sitting on the bus? Coming out on Saturdays, going visiting with us off for the bus. On Sunday, jumping on the bus with us to go bring those in. If you want to see a generation toward, towards God to truly see an impact in the child's life, I'll see you on the bus. If you want to see a life change to show love to those who are often ignored, discriminated against, and looked down on. Jump on the bus. Come and serve on the bus. Many of the children on the bus, I know we have some of the bus kids in here, they live in families where they are fatherless. The dad's not in the home. Being raised by either a family, and uncle, mom by herself. Why don't you come and visit the fatherless then on the bus with us? The bus will leave here every week. You can simply jump on. Well, I wouldn't know what to say. How about hi? How about my name is? What's your name? Well, I wouldn't know what to say. Start loving on them. Say, Jesus loves you. That's all I know what to say, but Jesus loves you. Good. For whosoever shall give a cup of water to drink in my name, because he belonged to Christ, verily really I shall say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Mark 9.43. Mark nine forty one. Do you love Jesus enough to serve him in sitting? In soul winning? How about in speaking? Do you love Christ enough to serve him in your speech? What you're talking about? Again we talk about soul winning, but I'm thinking about ministering to the saints. Um, Ephesians four uh, twenty nine, let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth, but that which is good for the edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. When was the last time you used your words to show someone the love of Christ? Are we taking the time to minister to the brethren in the church and teach them and show them the edifying love of Christ? Or at the end of church, is it all just catching up, chit-chatting? you know? Or are you trying to build somebody up? During our missions conference, I really got kind of challenged during the mission conference to start writing letters to our missionaries. Because I was so... I started shooting them emails. It has been so amazing. By the way, why don't you do the same? With their emails, a lot of them are back. that are on the board, so it's easy enough to do. I can shoot you a copy of their emails, too, if you want. I'll shoot them texts. I'll shoot them emails saying, Hey, just want to show you're the missionary of the week. We're going to take extra time this week to pray for you. I'll get back some emails, and it's just like, Wow, they're really praying for us. I got one from Brother Everly a couple of hours ago saying, Hey, man, I'm so glad you're praying for us. This Sunday, we're supposed to meet in a new building and we don't have it secured yet. We guys pray for us that we can get this building secure so we can start this new church? By the way, let's pray for him. If he's trying to start this new church, that he can actually be in the building. Hey, we say a quick response. I send him a response saying, yes, we will be praying. Can we serve people this week in our speech to be an encouragement to them, to edify them, to build them up? Is This going to be the chit-chat. Do we love Christ enough to serve him in soul winning. To, to serve him in sitting on the bus in the nursing homes. Do we love God enough to serve him by our speech, by what we're saying? Peter, do you love me? Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. Well, feed my sheep. i got a job for you to do. Finally tonight, we get to the hard passage. The last time he asked the question. This part, though, should kind of make us squirm a little bit because the next one is very pointed in verse 17. He says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto them the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto them, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love thee. He said unto them, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou was young, Thou girdest thyself, and walkest wherever thou wouldest, even wherever you wanted. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hand, another shall gird thee, and carries thee, whether thou wouldest not. This he spake, this spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken it, he said unto Peter, he said unto him, Follow me. Peter, are you willing, do you love me enough to suffer? Do you love me enough to suffer? Before Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. No, we would never betray thee. In fact, Peter even says over in Matthew twenty-six thirty-five or 33 says, Though all men should be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. What did Jesus say unto them? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Please, no, no, no. Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. Like was said all his disciples. And what happened? He denied Jesus. Oh man, I will die for you, Jesus. Hours later, he, after he cuts off Malchus' the ears, Peter fails to love Jesus three times night. I know not the man. I'm not, I don't know the man. I don't understand what you're saying. The third time it says that he turned around and started cussing them out, it uses the term in Matthew 26:74. Then he began to curse and to swear, saying that "I know not the man." And immediately the clock crew. Jesus, I will, I will die for you. A couple hours later, I don't, I don't know him. So when Jesus asked, said, look, do you love me enough to suffer? Because if you follow me, you will. Because you're, when you're a kid, you wouldn't do what you wanted. But when you're old, they're going to take that with what it's not. Peter, you said you would die for me before. Do you really love me that much? Tonight, I want to stop and ask, do we love Christ that much? Do we love Christ enough to step out and trust and say, God, I'm going to follow you. God, I will suffer for you. God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to step out and trust. Even if it scares me. Even if I have to suffer. Are we willing to step out to sell your house, pack your bags, move to Afghanistan, move to Iraq to become a, to become a missionary. I mean I couldn't do that. They might kill me over there. Are you willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? Luke 14:26 If any man will come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and also his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Do we love Christ more than we love even our own family? Do we love Christ enough more than even our own lives? Man, I do suffer for Jesus. then You don't really love him enough. You're not one of his disciples. I'm going to do that. Then you don't love Christ enough. I was thinking about today in, in, in America, so many of us are afraid of Muslim extremists, aren't we? There's all this talk about them. And we, we think about here in Connecticut, New Haven is one of those sanctuary cities where they took in thousands and thousands of refugees. and Some people are afraid, oh, what, what if we need attack here? Well, there's a way to stop any Muslim extremist attack. You know that, right? It's to win him for the Lord. But too often we get just too afraid. We see someone wearing one of the—I um, wrote the names down. I'm not even going to try to pronounce those names. We see them wearing those headdresses. We see them walking down towards the mosques. And why can't talk to them? Where, where does that do something about to, to me? Then you don't love Christ enough. You don't love Christ more than your own life. He said, "You cannot be my disciple." But but they could hurt me. Yeah, well, the cross hurt a lot more. Having our sins put on Him hurt a lot more. But but what, if, what what could they do unto me? Well, the Lord is on my side. Whom shall I fear? What can man do unto me? Psalm 118.6 The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The wicked flee when no man pursueth, Proverbs 28.1 says. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. Are we willing to even suffer for Christ? Or is it? No, I can't do that. Are we willing to even step out of our comfort zones to suffer for Him? To okay, God, might, what if God called you to sell your 401k and give that money to the church? Oh, I couldn't do that. Then you love it more than God. But but I I need that. Okay, well, are you willing to suffer? But my life, I need that for retirement. Yes. Are you willing to suffer for Him? Are you willing to step out and do something solely by faith? For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6. For he that is, for without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Are you willing to step out in faith and obey him, even if it's not comfortable, even if it hurts, if you have to suffer for him? Are you willing, do you love Christ enough to sit and to suffer for him, to step out in faith? Now, when Jesus looked at Peter and said, are you willing to step out and suffer for me? Peter, in turn, said something kind of funny. This would not be my first response by someone saying, hey, this is how you're going to die. He says in verse 20, then Peter turned to the disciple to whom Jesus loveth, following, which also leaned at the leaned at supper and said, Lord, who's it, the Patrisis? It, talking about John. He was identifying with John, okay? So he turned around and saw John. Peter saith unto him, Jesus, well, what did he do instead? What, what shall this man do? Okay, God, if you're going to have me die, what's, what, what, what do he make him do? Jesus said unto him, what if, I tear, what if I will that he tear me till I come? What is that to thee? Why is it any of your business what I got for him to do? Follow thou me. Follow thou me. If we're a sufferer for Christ, we need to stay on track. Too often, we get distracted. We'll turn around and we'll look at other people. We'll see what they're doing within their lives. And if we're looking at other people, well, then we're no longer looking at Christ. If we're comparing our Christian walk with somebody else's Christian walk... Then you're not looking at Christ. If I'm watching you and what you're doing, then I'm not looking at Him. We need to make sure we're keeping our eyes focused on Christ. The Apostle Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. God has a plan for each of our lives. So we don't need to go worry about what someone else's plan is for their, God's plan for their life is. We have to worry about what we're doing, how we are following Christ. Growing up, my little brothers, Adam and Jimmy, they used to race motocross. They were really good. They actually went professional. That was back in the days of Jeremy McGrath and everything. And They traveled the country as professional motocross racers. Personally, I prefer four wheels. I was up at Willow Springs racetrack racing there. I couldn't look at my brothers and say, well, you're not as good as a racer as I am. We were in two totally different races. They were in motocross. I was doing drift. with was my sport. We were in two different sports. How could I compare myself to them? How can I compare Michael Jordan and Jackie Robinson, how good of an athlete they were? They weren't playing the same sport. How can I compare your Christian race and my Christian race? It's a different race. But he's not as far along as I am. God has a different course for them. But when I was that old, I was doing this. No, no, no. Second Corinthians 10, 12. We d- for we dare not to make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Peter is looking at John and saying, well, what will John, what will he do? Jesus says, look, P- follow thou me. I got a plan for your life. You need to stay on target. Stay on track and be straight on target. Look, Peter. Follow thou me. Follow thou me. Be straight on target. What's the target? Christ. Look, um, Hebrews 12.2 Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it's set down at the right hand of God. If our eyes are on Jesus, we will, run, uh, we will run our race on a straight target instead of trying to compare ourselves to someone else. Again, if I'm looking at Brother B, then I'm not looking at Jesus. I'm looking at him. doesn't make sense. We need to stay on target We need to concentrate on what the Savior did for us. And if we concentrate, if we stay on target, we'll be willing to suffer for Him. No matter what that is, whether it's moving to another country to go preach for Christ in a place that could get us killed, or whether it's stopping working on Sundays so we can actually be here in church. If we are focused on Christ, we will be straight on target and we will show God that we're willing to suffer for Him. The Apostle Paul did a great job of keeping his eyes on Christ. He said in Acts 20.24, 20, But none of those things news me, neither count I my own life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of, his, the, gospel, the, gospel of the grace of God. If we're keeping our eyes focused on Christ, if we're stretching for the nail-scarred hands, if we're seeing God, I am looking at you. I want to be closer to you. I want to do what you want me to do. We'll be willing to suffer anything for the name of Jesus. We'll be willing to do whatever it takes to please our Lord. Even if it causes pain. Even if it causes suffering. Because we'll be looking at the suffering of Christ and saying... Like they said in Luke seventeen ten. So likewise E, when you should have done all those things which are community of you, you should say, Well man, we're some profitable servants. We've we've done that which was our duty to do. We'll say, Jesus, none of the suffering was worth it. I'm just I'm a worthy unservant just trying to serve you. Are we willing to suffer for him? Or man, I don't know Jesus if I love you that much. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Uh, you, thou knowest I love, Thou knowest all things, Jesus. Thou knowest I love thee. Okay, here's the plan. You're going to end up dying for me. One day, one time you did say you would be willing to die for me. <laughs> you end up running scared. This time, are you willing to die for me? Legend has it. We, we know, G, we know Peter died for sure as he was serving God. Legend, history has it, that it was in AD 68, there, you know, he was actually in Rome and got on the wrong side of um, Emperor Nero. And Emperor Nero truly was a vicious dude. He used to love um, lighting the way to Rome by taking people, dipping him in oil, and lighting him on fire. He was a vicious man. So when the Apostle Peter was there, he determined that, okay, Peter, you love Jesus so much, you love preaching about the cross so much, you're going to die on a cross then. you want to be like Jesus? I'll kill you just like how Jesus was killed. And the day of the execution, Peter said, I'm not worthy to even die in the same manner as Jesus. How about instead you flip me upside down and I die upside down, so I'm not in the same manner as Christ? Legend says that he died upside down on the cross. Because he wasn't even, he didn't think himself good enough to die even in the same manner as Jesus did. I look at that and says, you know what? I think he was willing to suffer for Christ. We go through the book of Acts and we see what Peter's willing to do and I says, yeah. You know what, Peter? Lovest thou me more than these? When we get through the book of Acts, yeah. I think Peter did. I think he turned his back on to possessions. I think Jesus became his priority. I think he was willing to give up his possessions. He was willing to, he truly loved Jesus more than these. Do we? Do we love Jesus more than stuff? Whatever thing that is? Is there anything that Jesus couldn't have in your life? Is there any, is Jesus the number one priority? Or is he just kind of in there? we'll do it when I can, when I can work it around. Does Peter, did Peter do you love me enough to, Do you love me? Yeah, we'll go feed my sheep. I think Peter did a good job doing that, being the apostle to the Jews, and really being the one to bring the gospel to the Gentiles? Yeah, I would say he loved God Jesus enough to serve. Do we love Jesus enough to serve him? To serve him? in our sitting, to be able to come out and whether it's through the nursing home ministry, the bus ministry, and to sit down to serve God and to serve His... Do we love God enough to serve Him through soul winning? Do we love Him enough to suffer? Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. You know everything, Jesus. Okay, Then you're going to die. You're going to follow me into the day that they kill you. Are you willing to follow me? History says that yeah, Peter really was—that he was sold out, that he was willing to suffer for the name of Jesus. Are we willing to suffer for his name, whether it cost us our comfort, if it cost us physically, if it cost us to have to sell our home to move to another part of the world? Are we willing to suffer, or are we too concentrated on someone else? Well, what about that guy? Why hasn't he done it yet? Well, he has more money than me. He can do that. No, no, no. Follow thou me. Stay straight on target. Do you love Christ enough to suffer for his name? Tonight, as I open up the altar call, I I invite you to stand with me. I want to challenge you to come down to the altar tonight and to tell Jesus how much he means to you. As I close in a word of prayer, why don't you come down to the altar tonight and tell him, Jesus, I do love you enough to serve, to suffer. Jesus, I do love you more than stuff. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,